as we celebrate the Advent, it is here, it is the arrival of God's coming to earth to be born as a baby. And so when we talk about love today, we're going to be talking about Jesus. So today is family worship, so our kids are all across the room and we're excited that you're in here. So if you need to get up and run around or whatever you need to do, parent, you do. You let them do that. That's okay. It's not going to bother Pastor Rob. It's not going to bother the person next to you because th- we are thankful and blessed to have children in our congregation. But it is the last installment of our Advent series and Christ coming. The, he was foretold by the prophets, the coming Messiah Over 300 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the coming of Christ. And we wait for his second coming in expectation for his coming again until he takes us to be with him. But we've talked about hope, peace, and joy. We have all the feels, right, as we move into love. And these words really describe God himself as he is our hope, as the steadfast love and his faithfulness as we hope in hopeful expectations of what he will do. And peace is what God brings knowing that we are in right standing with God because Christ has come and paid for our sin. Joy is knowing that there is good news and that he has not abandoned his creation And this last word, love, knowing how much God loves each and every person in this room this morning. If you're going to take away one thing from the text this morning that we're going to read, I want you to come away with the reality that God does love you. Amen? Did you know that? That God actually cares about you. The Old Testament term for the word love is ahava. And it's sometimes hard to describe love even in the English language, right? We can, we can say, um, I love pizza. And in the same breath, we can say, I love my wife or my husband, right? Well, those two things don't really match. Or in the same breath as I love basketball, I can say that I love my God. Very different thoughts. And sometimes the word love can be watered down to where it is meaningless. But God's love has meaning. And how is it used in the Bible? In the Old Testament, the word ahava is used as God's love towards his people. And their response to his love is love back unto God. So it stems from God's love for us and a responsive love to him. One of the most famous passages is in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in God's command to his people. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So out of who the Lord is, he says, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
all your heart, all your soul, and with all your might. God's love is not a halfway love. Your response to God's love should not be a half-hearted love either. For my people who have been hitting the gym lately, it's not a light day, right? It is a burnout type of love. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? That's all right. Sometimes you got to hit some people and others differently, right? So those are for the gym people. All that you have type of love. Now, why would we want, why would he want us to love him? Because he first loved us. And out of the response of his love, he desires for us to love him. David even read that verse in 1 John chapter 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Did you know that God's love is unconditional? It's steadfast and faithful. Even to an unfaithful people so important that we understand God's love from the beginning was so deep that even though we sinned, he had a plan of salvation for us. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you the fewest of all people, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out of with his mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. Did you know that God's love is not based upon how good you are or your performance? It's like a son, right? You don't love your son or your daughter based upon how good they are. You love your son and daughter based upon who they are. So if my son wasn't very good at putting a ball in a hoop, a basketball player, and he says, my, my daddy's not going to love me if I can't do it really well and play basketball really well. Well, no, I love you because you're my son, not because you can put a ball into a hoop. You see, God's love is everlasting. It's never ceasing. It's steadfast. It's unwavering. It's firm. It's secure. It's solid. Jeremiah chapter 31, 3, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And God's love is not just he says that he loves us as the people of God. It's actually that he does love us through actions. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 12 is our reaction to God's active love towards us. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. You see, this kind of love is like a husband and wife 
type of love. They don't just say they love one another. They act upon their love. You know, by like making breakfast for one another or giving them a gift or giving them a hug. And God's love is perfectly displayed ultimately through his actions. And so our love is perfectly displayed through actions as well to the Lord. But his perfect love is displayed on Christmas Eve as we see the coming King Jesus. God's love coming down from heaven to earth to be born as a baby displayed for all to see that God would come into our broken and dark world as the light. You see, in the story that we're going to read this morning, there was a special man. His name was Simeon. The Lord had revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Christ, the Messiah, the one that the prophets had talked about from old that was coming to save God's people. So Simeon wasn't going to die until he had seen the Messiah. Can you imagine that, right? The Lord telling you, you're not going to die until you've seen the Messiah. You, you, you can imagine maybe Simeon in, in our day may have, may have had a friend go with him and say, uh, the friend may say something like, Simeon, we probably shouldn't go skydiving because we might die, right? Uh, and Simeon's response may have been something like this. Well, I know that we're not going to die because I haven't seen the Lord's Christ yet, right? And unless he's on the plane and we meet him on the plane, we're good to go. So let's jump out of the plane with the parachute. But seriously, God had told Simeon that he wasn't going to pass until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. What a promise to this man. God had, God's people had waited a long time. The prophets had foretold the coming king. Simeon waited his whole life for the coming Messiah that God had promised that he would see. So let's, let's, let's hear the story of God's faithfulness and his love, not only towards Simeon, but to all people as they wait for the coming king this Christmas Eve. So let's turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 25. We'll begin there. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. If you'll stand with me in reading God's word, we'll read the story of Simeon together and we'll talk about it. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man... In Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, 
that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what he said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through their own, your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You can be seated. Let's pray. See, one of the things before we pray I want to add here is, is that oftentimes in the Bible there is, there is no um, <clears throat> testimony without two witnesses. And Simeon and, and the next section, Anna, will be witnesses of the coming king, Jesus, as a small child. The shepherds were a witness. The magi were a witness, right? They were witnesses of the birth of Jesus. Anna and Simeon are witnesses in the priest, in the temple of Jesus. It's a beautiful thing in which you have these pairs of witnesses. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful grace, your wonderful mercy that you bestow upon us. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have given us this great love and you've revealed it to us. And Lord, we ask that um, you would speak to us this morning and remind us of the beautiful baby Jesus that's born to us. As we sung this morning, happy birthday, Jesus. We're so glad it's Christmas. We are so glad it's Christmas that we come to remind ourselves of your faithfulness and your steadfast love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, in our culture, we want really instant gratification, right? Um, If it's not Lightning McQueen fast, then we want no part of it, right? Can you imagine, I mean, just imagine for a minute, can you imagine waiting 10 minutes at McDonald's? Sitting there at the counter for 10 minutes or in the drive-thru for 10 minutes, you'd be like, oh, I'm out of here. This is, this is way too long. Don't get me started with a 20-minute traffic jam, right, on your way home from work. That's just awful. If it's not two-day shipping, I'm not bothering with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not. Not two-day shipping, forget about it. Now, we are instant gratification, Right? Um, we were having our family meal the other night, and we started talking about Ninja Kids. I don't know if you know what that is, but they're YouTubers. They're famous YouTubers. Our kids watch it. And <clears throat> someone asked the question, the very important question, where do the Ninja Kids live, right? Where do they live? That's an important question. It was discussed at the dinner table. This is what we were discussing, and, um, and no one knows. At the dinner table, this very important question. So what does someone do at the dinner table? They go, hey, Alexa, where do the ninja kids live? To one of the parents, they will go nameless, his response, excuse me, we are not inviting Alexa to our dinner table. Thank you. So you can understand in our culture and the way our kids raise, it is instant, right? It is an instant gratification. We don't know the answer. Alexa, tell me the answer. You know, that's, that's the way in which we live. But 
Real, genuine, unconditional love is often not a microwavable meal. It's not. It's not an instant gratification of the flesh. It's often like a slow, roasted, home-cooked meal. Something to the effect of a smoked brisket, perfectly cooked, low and slow, right? God's love coming down and made visible in Christ came when? At the fullness of time. God told us through his word that he would come. But God's people waited and they waited a long, long time. They saw the faithfulness and the steadfast love of the Lord over time. But they waited in anticipation to see God's salvation. To see Jesus being born of his coming. Simeon waited his whole life knowing that God would allow him to see the salvation of God. And when the baby came into that temple, it must have just filled him with joy and love and peace and hope. A wonderful, joyous celebration of the long-awaited hope, bringing peace, showing the ultimate love of God. Christ Jesus being born, Emmanuel, God with us. You see, God's love was revealed for everyone to see. In the preceding verses of chapter 2 of Luke, Mary and Joseph are presenting Jesus to the Lord... As all firstborns were presented to the Lord, and a price was paid for him to not serve as a Levitical priest, because he was not in the tribe of Levi, he was in the tribe of Judah. And so they're presenting this sacrifice unto the Lord for him. And it's interesting, they give two turtle doves and two young pigeons as the sacrifice for the firstborn. And so this tells us actually something very important. They didn't have enough money for a lamb. So what does this tell us? It tells us that the wise men haven't come yet. That they're at the temple presenting baby Jesus and the sacrifice of of the firstborn, but they don't even have enough money for the lamb. Isn't, Isn't it interesting that God would provide for them through the Magi? God will provide for them to leave the country, to go to Egypt, to escape Herod and the killing of the babies in Bethlehem. God would provide for them the monetary needs that they needed to do that. Maybe God, uh, maybe you're doubting God's provision and his faithfulness, and yet God is providing the very Son of God for salvation for us. Verse 25, let's look at it together. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now we don't know a lot about Simeon, but we know enough, right? He is righteous. Because he, like Abraham, had faith and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
He also was devout, meaning he feared the Lord, obeying his commands. The Holy Spirit is also upon him, which is fascinating because he's an Old Testament saint. Jesus hasn't ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit hasn't come down. But he is, the Holy Spirit is upon him because God is with him, appointing him to a very special task of testifying to the Messiah, to the parents of the Messiah, that he is the Lord. Now we'll get back to this as we'll talk about Mary in a minute. But we get this statement from Luke that he is waiting for what? The consolation of Israel. This is our first point this morning. God's love is a consoling love. The consolation of Israel is God's love is a consoling love. The word consolation in the Greek is paraklesis, which comes from the word to describe the Holy Spirit, which is the helper or the paraclete. Same, similar word, same word. It is encouragement or consolation or comfort. So the comfort of Israel is coming. The consolation of Israel, God's love to console their broken hearts, their darkness. The word literally means to call near. Two words combined together, to call near. The God who comforts his people. When you think about somebody who's in need of comfort, you always think about somebody who gives them a hug to call them near, to bring them close, to bring them in towards himself. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what God is doing in sending Jesus as he's bringing us in to himself? Isaiah brings in the second section about Isaiah the promised hope for a renewed and restored Israel through the Messiah. And he begins in Isaiah 40 and the rest of the book talks about the Messiah who is coming, the renewed and restored Israel, all the things that will happen. The new Jerusalem, he talks about it. It's beautiful. You need to read it. But he begins that section, and this is how he begins the section, the second half of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. But he begins that section with comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. So when he says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, he is waiting for Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, in which God will come, he will pardon their sins, and he will bring comfort to his people. Have you ever thought of God's love as comforting for you? Israel actually means one who strives with God, one who wrestles with God, who is at intense intention with God himself. And we, we, like Israel, are humans 
who wrestle with God, strive with God. Our, our lives are filled oftentimes with struggle and hardship. And yet we're calling out to the God of comfort to bring us peace. I mean, I, I know during this time, sometimes it can get to a very busy season and Christmas season. My, my, my question is, how are you wrestling with God? You know, Jacob, who his name changed to Israel, Jacob, um, <clears throat> he tried to wrestle with God. He tries to wrestle with God. Jacob, his, his name actually means deceiver. So he's in the line of, of God's chosen people in the line of Abraham, and his name is deceiver. So he is like the serpent, the deceiver. But he is in the chosen line of Abraham to be the seed of the Son of Man. The promised one who will crush the head of the serpent. But he is like the deceptive one. And so he wrestles with God and he becomes broken and he surrenders to the Lord. Essentially, when he cries out his name, my name is Jacob, he's surrendering to the Lord. I'm a deceiver. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. And after surrendering to the Lord, what happens? God changes his name to Israel and he blesses him. It's the same with us, right? God wants to show us his love in such magnificent ways, yet we continue to wrestle with him in our finite view of our circumstances. We continue to question whether he is good, and he, even after seeing that he's good time and time again. And God wants us to surrender to him so that he can bless us with his comforting, consoling love. You see, those that find peace with God through the gospel of grace often find grace and the ability to comfort others. That's what the gospel turns into. When you find this comfort from God and you understand his great salvation, then you too comfort other people who are hurting and in need. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. This is what Jesus does. When he comes on the earth, he comforts the sick, the needy, the poor, those who are mourning as a result of their sin. Look at, look at verse 61 uh, of Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 1 of Isaiah. This is what Jesus read in the synagogue, and then he said, this has been fulfilled in your midst. This is what Jesus read to those to begin his ministry, he said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me 
because the Lord had anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. You see, God is a God of comfort for those who are in need of consolation. So that may be you here this morning. You may be raising your hand and saying, I'm broken. I am mourning for a variety of reasons. And God's saying, allow the God of the universe to comfort you knowing that he does love you. That he loves you so much that he would send his son to the earth for you. Look at verse 26. So as Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel, verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, And for glory to your people Israel. This is our second point this morning. Which is God's love is seen in his salvation. God's love is seen in his salvation. Simeon got to see God's salvation come in the form of a baby. Who was born. The Holy Spirit had given him eyes to see. Isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit leads him into the temple. There's probably a lot going on at this time, but the Holy Spirit gave him eyes to see God's salvation was through Jesus. And his response was what? To bless God. Not to curse God, but to bless God. You see, the gospel itself, the good news wrapped around the life, the burial, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ is the best picture of God's love because the glorious display of his sacrificial love for us was perfectly displayed upon the cross of Christ. We saw the display of God's love and the Nails in his hands and his side that was pierced by the sword. It's in his death that God would display the love that he has for all of us. God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That's a godlike love, right? Sacrificial, steadfast, cannot be moved. In which the righteous would die for the unrighteous to bring us to God. And Simeon saw this. He saw the salvation of God and you have too. 
in the gospel that was passed down to you. We're reading from the gospel of Luke. If you continue on, we see God's love perfectly displayed. And what will your response be to this great gospel? Simeon's response was to bless the Lord, to praise the God who loves and declared the light to the Gentiles and glory for his people Israel. Simeon saw it through the lens of the Holy Spirit, and you have too. When the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see the good news message of the gospel and allows you to see Christ is the salvation, all you can do is praise God and bless him for his great salvation. Simeon is working in the temple. He's waited his whole life. He's probably an elderly man here. He's waited his whole life to see Jesus. There's hundreds of people in the temple. There's lots of goings-ons. It was chaotic, and God directs him to Jesus. Maybe your life is a bit chaotic in this Christmas season. And God is directing you right now to look upon Christ, God's glorious salvation revealed to us. Bless the Lord this morning. Sing praises to his glorious name, for his salvation has come to us. Let's look at verse 33. And his father and mother marveled at what he said about him. Yeah, I would guess so, right? But again, his father and mother had also talked to angels. They had, you know, they, they're, 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 they had seen the shepherds. They had heard the shepherds and the, and the witness that they gave of the angels singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And Simeon blessed them and said to, his, to Mary, his mother. Notice it's just Mary here. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I think, I think this is our third point this morning. <clears throat> God's love is costly. It is not without cost. You think of a, a, a diamond ring that somebody buys for their wedding, their spouse, their bride. It costs them something. They, they show their love by their sacrifice. After the blessings from Simeon, there's a shocking warning to Mary about the baby that is to be born. A foreshadowing of opposition to Jesus. And we know the rest of the story, right? So we know that it leads to a trial and ultimately his crucifixion and death upon a cross. You see, the, the fall and rising of many is reference to people's destiny as some will some will stumble at the foot of Jesus and some will will be led by Christ and ultimately come into the kingdom of God and find refuge in Jesus. 
it's kind of that double-edged sword of some will come into the kingdom of God because they will humble themselves to bless the Lord because of Jesus. And some will be opposed to Jesus. Jesus will actually be a stumbling block to them, causing judgment upon those people. You see, God will usher in the kingdom of God through Jesus. And there will be opposition to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And here it says that there will be a sign. What's that sign? Well, I believe the resurrection is the sign, right? As the sign of Jonah is God's sign that Christ is the Lord God Almighty. But there will be pain as well associated with this opposition, with all the things that Christ will actually go through. Verse 35, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. The sword piercing through is an interesting reference that it says also here, but through Mary's soul also. It's interesting that when Jesus was on the cross, before he declares, it is finished, He sees John, the disciple John, one of his closest disciples. John refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And Mary, his mother, as they are witnessing the Messiah upon the cross, being crucified by his own people. And this is what Jesus says as he shows his love to his mother. John chapter 19, verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother, And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Now, you can imagine that Mary, watching her son being crucified on the cross, having as a little child Simeon telling him that this is the consolation, the comfort of Israel, this is the Messiah, that he has come to bring peace to the earth and to watch him being crucified upon the cross, it crushed her soul. A sword pierced her own soul upon the cross But it also says also. And when Jesus says it is finished, the Roman soldiers came and they pierced his side to make sure that he was dead. You see, God's love is costly. It cost him everything. He displayed your worth through his sacrifice. And he declares you worthy of being loved. And so when we come to this Christmas season and we think about the baby that's born in the manger, we're reminded of the love that God has for us. I love this passage in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14. I think it describes well our response to God's love. It says this, sing aloud 
O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So when we, as the church, the people of God who gather here at 23rd and Drexel are reminded of God's love for us, then we like Simeon rejoice with loud singing and celebration for the king has come and he dwells among us. Praise the Lord for you today coming on Christmas Eve to celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that we would be a people who rejoiced at your coming. We would be a people that celebrate as Simeon did, Father, as the long-awaited hope has come to God's people. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of Simeon. And Father, help us to be reminded of your comfort even amidst the chaos and the darkness that we find ourselves in. May we wait for your coming again. May we be a people who are reminded of your first coming, that you came to save us from our sins and you're coming again to make all things new. We praise you and thank you for this morning, the ability to come and worship you because you're worthy and you've declared us worthy, Father, because of your great love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna respond in singing to the Lord God Almighty and let's respond in singing unto him. Pastors are down front if you'd like to to pray with someone this morning.